Highland pipes. Not all of them, but most of them. Um, also, most of them are local. So, I mean, you're local, but have you ever have you ever played Highland pipes? I did actually. I played them when I was, I guess, was junior high school. Where, um, where, and when? And tell me all about that. In fact, sure. actually, Mark, take me even further back. Like, where'd you grow up, and was there music in the household when you were little? And tell me all about yeah. yourself. Well, I grew up in upstate New York, um, and the area around... I was born in the town of Oneonta, which is sort of northwest edge of the Catskill Mountains. Oh, cool. And uh, grew up around Utica and the Mohawk Valley, and then we moved back to Oneonta at the end of high school. Um, I... You know, my earliest musical memory is of marching band, uh, Highland Pipe music. <laughs> my father is Scottish and Irish heritage, and he had these records around the house, and that is literally one of my earliest musical memories, is listening to pipe band music. And at some point, I just, um, I think I was about 13 or so, and I went into, and this was in the mid-70s, mind you, and I went into a Woolworths, and they had this, international section of records and there was uh there were two records that i brought home that day one was by the chieftains mm. and the other one was a solo ill and piping album by finbar fury and i had no idea what it was i just bought it and i was just blown away wait no um, wait you, you bought the ill and piping one right and the chieftains oh you got yep. both of them because i was yep. imagining this like one of those fateful moments where you had one album in each hand and you're looking back and forth between them like which one, which one? <laughs> no. well and they both had ill and piping right on them, that's right, right? one of them would have led you to your yeah. destiny huh? exactly and i was like what is that sound oh my god that's amazing um and you know i at that moment you know if i had known where to find ill and pipes or instruction i would have gone for it i would have begged my parents but this was the mid-1970s, there was no internet, we didn't live near a large diaspora community. I mean, my father was from New York City, and his, you know, so there's a lot of that down there in the city, but not where I lived. Um, and then I saw an ad the paper for Highland Pipe Lessons. Mm -hmm. And um, so I persuaded my parents to drive me there and buy me a practice chanter. It was... Uh, there was a little women's college called Kirkland College, which is now merged with Hamilton College, and they had a bagpiping scholarship, and so the student who had that scholarship was offering lessons. Hmm. And um, so, and saved up and bought myself a set of Highland Pipes and played through junior high and high school, but there was no band locally, so I was kind of on my own, and then by the end of high school, that kind of petered out. I discovered girls who weren't that impressed by Bagpipe playing. Wait, you, I still have not been able that 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 misconception has still not been shattered for me. So I'm, <laughs> I'm just gonna, gonna plug my ears at that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't let that dissuade anybody. Yeah, yeah no, I always just um, yeah, kind of moved on to other things, tried to learn guitar and so forth. But uh, you know, the Elon pipes was always in the back of my mind. Um, and then in 1982, I was uh, in college. And I went to study in Dublin for a semester. Oh, cool. And I was, you know, really eager to try to track down Ilan Pipes somewhere, somehow. And there's a, a music, traditional music organization called Cultus Kiltori Aaron in, in Ireland. And they have branches in the U.S. as well. And they focus on getting musician uh, music instruction for young people in mm. traditional music. And they sponsor competitions called Flaws, and, and um, anyway, 
I went to their headquarters in Monkstown, which is just south of Dublin, and they were selling practice sets of Illum pipes, which consists of the bag, the bellows, and the chanter. Mm. And I didn't have a lot of money. In fact, I kind of spent what money I had left for the rest of the semester on a practice set of Illum pipes. <laughs> you think to yourself, but, I boiled potatoes for me the rest of the time I'm here. Yeah, kind of. Well, I wound up working in a pub um, because I needed to... <laughs> support myself somehow. Yeah. I mean, I was living with a family. Anyway, um, but they turned out to not be really well-made pipes, and they weren't really playable, and I took them to a few different people, and they really couldn't get them going well, and so I tried taking a few lessons, but um, they really weren't playable, and yeah, at that point, I didn't know what to do, so I kind of just gave up really until, um, gosh, I guess it was around 2000 when this miraculous thing called the World Wide Web hmm. <laughs> was yeah. there. And I said, huh, I wonder if I could find anything about Ellen Pipes on the web. And I looked it up, and sure enough, there were pipe makers with websites. And oh, my gosh. So I started to get uh, serious about pursuing it. And so I started up again when I was in my 40s. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I know that there's... Um you know, so speaking of, of, of like locally, were, were you in Utah at that point? Yeah, I moved here in 96. So were there, did you did you pretty quickly find other Illin Pipers locally as well, or did it did that uh, take me? Because I know that there's, there's not a ton, right? No, no, there aren't. Yeah, in fact, it was kind of funny because right around the same time, there. Were, I don't know if you're familiar with the Chiff and Fipple discussion board. Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, and so that was just taking off, and I signed on and... I guess I must have had something about Utah in my profile. And uh, a fellow reached out to me and said, hey, I'm trying to learn too, so, you know, let's get together. Mm. And uh, his name was Brian Dobson, is Brian Dobson. And um, soon enough, a whole bunch of us got together, um, found each other through this discussion board. And by that point, some of us had practice sets um, some of us were still in the search for gear, and we got together, and we, but there was no one in the state that we knew of who was really an experienced piper, mm -hmm. Elon Piper, and we heard tell of a guy named Bill Tiernan who lived down in Grand Junction. He taught at the, the state college down there, Yeah. Um, and he, uh, we invited him up, and he came up and gave us some lessons, and that was, we were off to the races. That was about 2003, I think. Is Bill, I know that there's a guy out of Colorado who, who makes sets and does reads and stuff like that. Is that Bill or is that? No, that's Dirk. Um, I'm not yeah, sure how you say his last name. Right, M-E-W-E-S, -E -E yeah. Muse or something. Muse or something, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's in, uh, uh, what's the place? Fort Collins. Um, Fort Collins. I think he's around there. And I've, I haven't heard this stuff. I've seen pictures of it, and it looks like really nice quality gear yeah. he's making. There was a guy that reached out to me last year or the year before who wanted to get into it, and he um, uh, bought a practice set off of uh, Dirk and then moved to Boston, so I never got to hear, <laughs> hear them played. So. Might, might have been, it might have been nice to, to encounter a practice set that worked really well, huh, after your first experience. Yeah, <clears throat> well, that's exactly right, yeah. And, and that's um, that's the biggest obstacle I find for people. Um, I, a lot of people reach out through the, uh, we have a Facebook page for the Salt Lake Piping Club. Yeah. 
and a lot of people say, oh, I want to get into it. A lot of them are Elon curious Highland Pipers, and they, you know, I want to yep. check this in, instrument out, but where do I start? And that's that's the biggest challenge. I mean, you know, it's not rocket science. You can anybody can play the things, but it's a matter of finding a quality practice set from a reputable maker um, mm -hmm. that actually works well. And of course, there's a whole issue of reeds and how well they do in Utah's climate and so forth. And that's the thing that usually dissuades people the most, I think, from getting started. Yeah. Have you, now that you're a ways into playing more seriously, have you done some reed science yourself? Do you do some reading yourself? Is that necessary? Or have you just found makers you can trust that make stuff that work? You know, it's... Um, it's really a matter of, ideally, and one gets told this, to be a real Ilan Piper, you have to be master the process of reed making, the dark art, as it's called. Mm -hmm. And I am, am terrible at it. And that's largely a function of the fact that I have never been able to invest the time into getting good at it, or perhaps willing. Um, I would say that, basically, it takes a lot more time to... Uh, become a good reed maker than it does to become a good player. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I have a job and family and all that, so I've just never been able to invest that kind of time yeah. in getting good at it. Now, there is a, uh, one of the stalwarts of our club. Uh, he lives in uh, Salt Lake, and he got really good at reed making. Um, and so I've kind of leaned on him a bit, and my latest set that I've um, acquired... Um, is I've had it since 2013, and the guy who makes those, he's one of the best reed makers in the world, and so far that reed has held up mm. in Utah's climate, and I take it back east in a place where it's humid, and so knock on wood, I'm okay for now. <laughs> uh, there's some people in California that, depending on who the maker of the pipes are, will read your chapters for you. Yeah. If you, um, There's a guy in Miami who does it, so... But yeah, it's, that's that's a challenge. That, one of the challenges. That is one thing that I that is, you know, right 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 from the start seems pretty different between Elam pipes and Highland pipes. Where um, you know I plan on going through at least six or seven uh, chanter reads on my Highland pipes every year, depending on how much I'm playing. Uh, I guess yeah. is that mostly down to it being a wet system versus a dry system that that it wears yeah. out more quickly. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, because these are dry reads. Um, and the design, I mean, there's no standardization. I mean, I remember the days of Highland piping, you could go rifle through a box of reeds, right, for your mm -hmm. chanter and, you know, get three or four of them and one of them will work okay. Yeah. Um, with the with the Elon pipe reeds, because they're they're overblown into a second octave and the, the what's called the scrape. So, I mean, everything about like the dimension of the staple, which is a rolled piece of copper tubing, sometimes um, stock brass tubing is used. Um, and the dimensions of the cane slip that's cut and the way it's scraped down, all of that has to be specific to that chanter design. Mm. And that chanter design, in turn, is based on whatever that pipe maker is using for a model. Um, there are some classic makers from the earlier 20th century and from the 19th century that they base their designs on. And so it's almost as if the redesign, I mean, there's general parameters where they'll work in a lot of different chanters, but a lot of them are very specific to that particular maker mm. and the way in which the bore is shaped and the chanter. So they're not transportable from one system to another necessarily. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they're just sometimes really super finicky. 
It's kind of frustrating. That's I, I've having looked at some some of the some Highland Pipe music um, pre World War One basically. Yeah. It, there there is what you might call a little more like sort of creativity or or like movement, like a little bit of overblowing yeah. and stuff like that. And yeah. I have wondered before, like you know, Illin pipes. Uh, I, I am also an Illin pipe curious Highland piper, and and <laughs> you know the the uh, the cost barrier is usually what what has has held yeah. me back. And uh, yeah. and I have wondered to myself before, like, is what we need to have a military engagement in which Illin pipes <laughs> are used that would force them into a standardized <laughs> design? You know what I mean? I, um, force it yeah. into a mass producible thing, and then on the other end, it would come out cheaper. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, of course, it's hard to march with the pipes because you yeah. play them sitting down. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and that's been an endless topic of conversation. Um, and there have been various efforts, uh, I think, to kind of standardize the production to some degree. Yeah. I mean, part of the challenge is that, so for the most part, we're talking about concert pitch instruments, which are pitched in D. Mm-hmm. Uh, to tune to A440, which is kind of the modern standard, and that only evolved in the 1870s, 1880s. There was a couple of uh, brothers from Drogheda that emigrated to the States in yeah, the 1870s, the Taylor brothers, and they designed the first what we call now concert pitch bores, which are kind of the standard that you play in sessions and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were designed to compete with other instruments and dance halls and settings where immigrants were gathered um, so they're louder, had a wider bore, larger tone holes. Um, but previous to that, all the the instruments from the like the cla- the golden age of pipe making up through the famine in the eighteen fifties, they were pitched anywhere from B flat to C sharp, mm. just depending on the maker. And they were really designed to be solo instruments. Um, so there was, like I said, no standardization. I think now with the um, th- there's some people that have experimented with um, uh, what's the like computer-aided design and CNC oh, waves. Yeah. And yeah. I, I actually have somewhere a chanter that I bought from a young fellow in Boston about 15 years ago who was experimenting with injection-molded mm. uh, chanters, and it plays really nicely. Yeah, um, saw, um, Bagpipes Galore has a, a molded one that they sell. Yeah, I mean, there's a... Uh, oh, gosh, what's his name now? Um, well-known Highland pipe maker in Scotland... McCallum, um, is it? Yeah, they just did an Illum pipe with Fred Morrison. Is that? Is that yes, that's, Fred, that's the one. And apparently, whatever design he's got is dialed in and fairly standardized. I wonder um, if that must like because they're selling it. Like I was a little surprised at how cheaply they were selling it. I thought, oh, they must have figured out how to get this onto one of their CNC routers or something. Yeah, I think that's what they've done because you know the, the bore is so unique to each channel design because mm-hmm. they have to undercut the tone holes and. Like they have all these gauges that I've talked to pipe makers who make these different size gauges to measure precisely the bore of historic channels to reproduce that sound. It's like trying to copy a Stradivarius. Mm. Um, but he's got some design dialed in, and I've heard really good things about them. But the other, the the dark side of that whole process has been pipes made in Pakistan. Of course, and yeah. Whatever you do, don't go near any of, I had any some. of those. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And, and I've I've had heartbreaking stories from people that have reached out to me who spent a lot of money on those things, and they're just unplayable. I got lucky though, Mark. I only bought a, like a goose, like a practice set. Right. And it turned out, while the chanter is utterly unusable, um, other than like I, it does function as a back scratcher because it's got the knob at the end, you know. Yeah, the there you go. Back. But yep. the um, the bellows actually I've been using for years now on my Scottish small pipes. They there work. You go. They work great. And yep. I actually just recently 
realized that the bag was tight enough that I tied my Lindsay system chanter into it, and it's functional. So now I feel pretty good, actually. I actually That's came great. out all right. But yeah, yeah, I can, yeah. I'm sure that a lot of people have. We see it on Highland Pipes as well. Darn it. They show up to lessons, and it's like, oh, no. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I spent $400 just, on this, huh? Darn it. I know. Well, and I've had people show up with full sets that they spent a couple of thousand bucks on, and I'm like, dude, you know, I can't in good conscience tell you to sell it to somebody else, but right. this this is never going to work. And they, they ship them with, like, these little plastic, essentially, practice Highland Chanter reeds yeah. that are just, you know, by definition, they aren't going to move blown at the second octave. So, mm. And then they had, for a while, I met a few people who bought these. Um, they were, like, practice chanters. Like Highland practice chatters, supposedly Highland pipes. Oh, yeah, long they have like a, like a gooseneck on the top, though, right? Yeah, like a tube yeah. you blow into or something, and that was just such an abomination. I'm like, who sold you this? Well, I'm glad anyway. I never bought one, because I have looked at those and thought, like, well, do I need that? Is that a way to start learning, you know, instead of getting a goose? Can I, can I just get a chanter? <laughs> the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so, I mean, that's that's one of the challenges is just, you know, it's just money. I mean, I think to get a decent uh, practice set from a reputable, um, you know, known maker. Yeah you're looking at 2000 or so and for mm-hmm. a lot of people who don't even know if they're going to stick with it that's a lot of money yeah that's the you know thing, yeah. i mean that's why you know, it it's tended to skew towards like middle-aged dilettantes like myself yeah <laughs> um but but i think it's it's getting better i mean there's more and more pipe makers in the game now and there's more and more access to gear um the the mothership organization of illin piping is called napibity illin and they're based in dublin and at least in Ireland, they've done a really good job of commissioning sets, practice sets for makers and having sort of pipes on loan available to young oh, people. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. No problem. Um, and there's some clubs in, in uh, some piping clubs in the U.S. that are kind of doing that as well. Mm. I've had, you know, half sets and chanters I've loaned to people over the years. Um, biggest challenge for me is I'm not very good at reading them, so... That's yeah. kind of a crapshoot, um, but yeah, that that's that's the biggest obstacle right there. But if you get a decent practice set, there's a guy in, uh, and I think he's still making them up in Seattle, called David Day, who was making oh, yeah. something he called the Penny the, Chanter. The Penny Chanter, yeah, right. Oh, and that I've, was I've drooled over his website for so many hours already. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and those are really good, affordable entry level instruments, and they work. I mean, it's sort of a like nested tubing, step bore kind of thing. I'm not sure what exactly he does. I, that was actually my first chanter. Oh, yeah. Although I, I sprang for the rosewood version for some reason because I wanted it to look cool. Yeah. But but you, uh, uh, so it, it was a good experience, though. That's a that's a solid a, a, yeah, a functional yeah. instrument. I mean, I've yeah, heard yeah. playing it before, and I'm like, well, of course you can play it well, man. You know, but could I play it? You know? <laughs> yeah. No, it actually it worked pretty well. Um, there's a guy that had one down in Utah County, and he he got a bag of bellows um, somewhere else, I think. Mm. And he made a kind of cut a drone stock into the bag, and he used a sprinkler valve or something and some like just brass tubing, and made a and used some of the easy drone reeds from Highland Pipes. And oh, really? for his drone, it actually sounded pretty good. I was blown away. I was like, holy smokes! Oh, there you go. You get resourceful and get, yeah. get your set a lot cheaper then, huh? That's right. That's right. Well, that's awesome, and that's good to know because that is I have I have eyeballed David Day's stuff quite a bit myself, and 
I, I, I'd imagine, see, I'm, I'm, I'm projecting here, I guess. I'm just imagining that, like, well, if I think this is interesting and if I fantasize about hopping onto Illum Pipes, then the rest of my Highland Piper friends probably also, right? So I'm just assuming yeah. that they'll want to hear the same things I want to hear. Yeah, no, I think there's a lot of people in that same boat because, uh, you know, they're pretty iconic. They've pretty gotten to be pretty well known, the sound of them. And yeah, such a sound. I mean, just for my mind, because I listen to a lot of Irish music and I have ever since I was a kid. And, um, you know, they really blend in with other instruments in a way that's harder to do with Highland Pipes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we have sessions in Salt Lake and up here in Ogden and it's fiddles and flutes and guitars and, you know, it, it just works well. Well, and that since kind that came setting. up, that was, my, could you tell me a little more about those? Because that's how, that's how I got connected to you. How... I don't remember how exactly initially. Maybe I had reached out to the Pipers Club about. I think you might have. Yeah. That's probably. Yeah. Uh, but I get your emails about the sessions and still right. intend to come someday. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, tell definitely. me about the sessions. What's uh, what's that like? Uh, you know, it's they've been. There's been people playing Irish music for a long time. It's not like long before I got here. Um, so there's this older generation of musicians who were here since the '70s, like Dave Sharp and. Um, Steve Hollander, Mark Jardine, uh, Mark Cantor, who does the Fred Fiddle Show on KRCL, um, Kate McLeod, um, and th- those folks were like the the original sort of founders of the Irish music scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the first major session that I went to, we were at a bar called the Republican in Salt Lake on South State Street for about 15 years, and that was yeah. twice a month. And they went out of business during COVID, but that was, right. you know, I mean, it was kind of an acoustic train wreck, but it worked. And they were really generous in hosting us, and they were always very welcoming, and the patrons seemed to enjoy it. Um, and when they went out, there was a hiatus during COVID, and now we've started up a monthly session at the VFW Bar in uh, Sugar House. And that's once the second Monday of every month. Mm. And there's also a house session. There's a guy from Ireland who plays fiddle. He lives in uh, South Jordan, and we there's a gathering at his house every Thursday night. But um, I have a session up here at my house. It used to be pretty regular. I started, it was a learning session, so kind of slower pace because there's a lot of people getting into Irish music at the same time yeah. and all kinds of instruments. Um, and that was, gosh maybe 2005 I started that, I think, and that was at an art gallery here in Ogden, and then when they closed, I moved it into my house, and it's, it's less regular now, it's maybe every couple months, depending on my schedule, but I usually do it on weekends. What was uh, the, there was a, a band that came through recently, I think from Ireland, was that, a, did you have, host them at your, at your own house? That oh yeah, yeah, the Southwest Ramblers, yeah, that was, um, th- there's a whole circuit of house concerts, and um, I was contacted by uh, Fiddler Logan, who met some people at a workshop in uh, Tacoma or someplace. And there's uh, a pretty good Irish scene in Albuquerque. And there's a guy from Cork down there, who Jim Crowley, who uh, wanted to set up like a house concert trail up from New Mexico through Utah and eventually up into Oregon. And so the first venture in that was this house concert. There were two, um, one piano accordion and one box player from Ireland, but the two of them, and then uh, two local musicians from Albuquerque, including this phenomenal young fiddler named Grace Broadhead, who's just 
you know, somebody to watch for. Um, yeah, and we had some great house concerts. There's one in Provo. Um, I hosted one, and then there's one in Logan. Hmm. Well, Provo's yeah, like we, my backyard. Well, there you go. There you, uh, where are you based? I'm in Orem. Okay, right next door. Well, in fact, there's a there's a great little piper down there too. Joe Perry. Uh, yes, yeah. if you know Joe, yeah. And uh, he's got a Highland Pipe band as well. Yeah, I've played Highland Pipes with him a bit, and my my family and I we we've gotten to see his his Irish group play a couple times now. Oh, Roger Dove, yeah, exactly. Very good. Yeah, and of course, over the years, we you know the piping club was probably more active in the past than it has been the last five years or so. Mm-hmm. I think. COVID kind of took the wind out. <laughs> excuse me. <coughs> COVID kind of took the wind out of our sails a little bit. Um, oh, the but, wind out of your bellows, huh? Yeah, the, yeah. There you go. The air out of our bellows. Yeah, we developed. We sprang a leak. There you go. Um, and but we would have workshops because I mean the thing is when you're an isolated piper trying to learn on your own. Yeah. And that's kind of how what I I wound up going to workshops around the country. The the, the Irish piping workshops are called Chinol. T-I-O-N-O-L, which is an Irish word for gathering or something. Mm. Um, and there's workshops, and um, there's some really great ones. Um, there's one in upstate New York in a town called East Durham, which is called the Irish Catskills. It's sort of like where all the Irish from New York City went to, on holiday in the summer, back before cheap flights to Disney. Mm-hmm. And... Um, there's people, I mean, just amazing players from all over, like, you know, Boston, Philly, D.C., Chicago. They come down from Canada. Um, there's uh, Chanel in St. Louis every year. There's a couple on the West Coast. So there, there's more and more of those kinds of things for pipers. But then the other thing is you could also, like, local groups will bring in, and that's kind of what they do. They bring in well-known pipers from the States or from Ireland. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we've, we've had some really good guest pipers over the years. I would usually bring a fiddler with them so that we can make some more money off the fiddle players. There's <laughs> usually more of them. Um, and, and, you know, there's a lot of great fine duets that play together, and so that works out really well. That's such a good strategy. I mean, that we like I'm familiar with doing a similar thing with like our with our uh, in within the Highland Pipe competition um, yeah. group, right? We'll we'll bring in Highland Piping instructors and stuff for workshops and stuff. The mm-hmm. the Wuspaba branch will, and um, and so like I've I've been wanting to get together some small pipers, um, and that my thought was like it'd be so fun to do the same thing, you know, with Scottish small pipes, bring in some some accomplished yeah. players and stuff. But then it's like. It's so it's so niche. Uh, it's hard to gather enough people. But ah, if you add fiddling, then yeah, <laughs> you can get yeah. a sudden influx of more humans. With you know fifty bucks a pop, you can get more well, people. Well, <laughs> exactly. Just make it viable because I mean it's hard if you're paying for somebody's flight and right. putting them up. I mean it's just hard to make the numbers go otherwise. And you know I've rented venues in Salt Lake before for concerts, and you know it's it's a challenge unless you've got you know some way to reach a larger audience. So. It, what, it, to to be an eccentric billionaire, that's that's really the dream. Yeah, 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 exactly. I'll be the uh, the Ellen Pipe benefactor. All I have to do is play the lotto. Yeah, yeah. Hey, friends. Sorry that uh, this episode's coming out a little bit late. Just a bunch of crazy stuff going on, you know. But happy to have it out. And uh, just wanted to say real quick that uh, Mark is a real trooper. This is probably the longest that any interviewee. Sorry, I had to think about that for a second. That any interviewee has had to go between doing an interview and having the interview go public. Uh, there's usually a lag there because it takes me a while to do the post work and everything like that, but Mark's, I think, has been over a year. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I hope it's enjoyable. And um, oh, and the uh, main thing I wanted to just say real quick with this note is that I've got a new design up over at bagpipeswag.com. 
You know that song, The Pumpkin's Fancy, by Terry Tully, the, the legend? Well, how about a fancy pumpkin? Go over there, and I got fancy pumpkin uh, mugs and t-shirts for $15 just through the end of the month. And then on Halloween, I will do a drawing from the Patreon supporters for the show, and one of them will win a, a fancy pumpkin t-shirt. So if you want to be in the drawing and future drawings, feel free to support the show. Remember to follow us on social media. Send an email if you have questions or ideas for future episodes. And other than that, just uh, have fun. And thanks again for tuning in. And uh, see you later. No, um, Mark, I, I, I want you to feel free to speak, like, very openly and freely. I'm curious where you have – you did do some Highland piping, and mm-hmm. now you do Illum piping. Like, mm-hmm. I've read articles before where, where folks talk about that who, – who have done the same, um, you know – gone across uh, along the same uh, the same trajectory right and they talk about feeling like they've moved from marching band to jazz band like and it's not to say that one is better than the other they're different right. things you know right. but right. like what's what what do you feel like is the difference for you personally right between the two yeah. styles of playing the two instruments that kind of stuff yeah, I mean, part of it is, like, I never had that marching band experience because I was never in a band. You're always by yourself. I was always by myself, yeah. I mean, I do, I mean, certainly the Highland music, the Highland piping tradition is much more regimented, literally. Mm. You know, my, my the book that my teacher used was the Scots Guards, yeah. you know, and it was just like this note, that grace note, that setting. And so the idea that you can kind of just play the tune in different ways as you want to was kind of alien to me when I started doing this. Um, and I started, before I got my first set of pipes, I just started picking up the whistle again because that's a great gateway instrument because a lot of the ornamentation techniques are the same. But I mean, for me, it's fundamentally about the music. When you do use the whistle, and that, I just mean to ask this because you sure. know my friends who are listening who might be interested, it's like, well, what can I do in the meantime until I buy yeah. my set, you know? Yeah. Do do you find that a low D whistle is most useful, or does it not matter so much? Just, just doesn't matter. Gotcha. You can be, you know, one of the squeaky ones if mm-hmm. your family will put up with it, mm-hmm. um, or low D. I mean, the low D is almost harder to start on because you have to use what's called a piper's grip, yeah. which is comes naturally to pipers, I guess. But yeah, that's the thing. Just, the, the population that I'm talking to, like that's how we're going to hold our whistles anyway. So no big deal. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. It's just the. Um, Covering the tone holes can yeah. be a bit of a challenge, a mechanical challenge. I, um, but it was there, there was a whistle player on the show recently, um, Sean, who who pointed out that with the low D whistle, you could even use your pinky for the bottom one, and that gets you, I guess, even closer to for for to to Ilan piping where you'd have your four lower fingers down. Yeah. To play a low yeah. D. You could. I mean, that would that would really wreck my head. I don't think I could figure <laughs> figure that out. Because I also play the flute, the Irish flute. Oh, of course. Uh, I picked that up start a few years after I started the Ilan pipes, and partly just because there are some tunes that sit well better that sit better on the on the flute mm. than they do on the pipes. Um, I find I can generally play faster without screwing up on the flute. Interesting. Um, and so sometimes, you know, pipes just aren't appropriate depending on the mix and the crowd and mm. the acoustics. I mean, it's they're not super loud, but they can still dominate in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it makes it harder for me to hear. Like if there's a fiddler sitting three chairs over, I can't hear them play necessarily. Um, so it just depends on the music. But I mean, ultimately, it's it's just different. I mean, 
you know, you have to be obsessed by Irish music. I mean, I tell people all the time, like, if you're not really into Irish music and you want to hear this and you're fully in love with these tunes, for God's sake, don't waste your time in the Ellen Pipes. Mm-hmm. Get a real instrument that you can transpose to other genres of music in case you get tired of Irish music. You know, get a fiddle, whatever. Um, you know, because you have to be obsessed with the music. And Ellen Pipes, like Highland Pipes, you know, they're suited to play one kind of music. Yeah. Yeah. And if you and if that's not what you're driven to listen to and play, why would you bother? Because it's you know it's a bit of a challenge and a lot of time. Um, so I, I enjoy the flexibility. Um, you know, you can play tunes different ways. You can swing it a certain way. Um, the ornamentation is really a matter of individual taste. I mean, you can listen to reference recordings of great Ellen Pipers, but I also listen to you know fiddle players and box players and flute players and. Some of the versions of the tunes that I'll play are just based on that, because it's whatever that whatever the version is I have in my head that I've been listening to, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of the ornamentation of the other instruments are actually imitating the pipes anyway. Oh yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I I feel like I've noticed that. I, maybe I don't have a very good well well attuned ear for it, but I feel like I have noticed that with fiddle fiddles at least, where it's like ah. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, like the crams and the rolls yep. and the. I mean it's. You know, I mean, the the whole grace note thing, which they're called cuts in Irish music for some reason, mm. um, it's a lot less complex than Highland piping. So that that's, you know, for a Highland piper, that's the least of their worries. Mm. The, one, the one thing that people tell you is if you're a Highland piper, don't use the C-sharp finger all the time to cut things because it, it sounds really monotonous after a while. <laughs> like, you know, it, you, I mean, it's, you're encouraged to, like, mix up your use of cuts and to achieve, and you can sort of lift the chanter off the knee and get different tonal effects, and there's a lot of subtleties to it, stuff that you can do with that instrument that you just can't do with the Highland pipes. Yeah, yeah, that's that's part of what's really intriguing, at least to me, is that you know you can when you're listening to Highland pipes play, it's not just a change in notes. Sometimes you get that that like really cutting, like sudden. It's like a, it's like, it seems like it's always at the lower end of the hand, at the yeah. lower end of the scale. Um, yeah. Yeah, it yeah. really slices through everything else. Yeah, barks and pops and yeah. vibrato and all this other stuff. I mean, it's you know, it's all those little things that add up to like, okay, this person really knows what they're doing with the instrument, mm-hmm. and they're mm-hmm. they're often very subtle. Yeah. So, um, w- when learning any any instrument, it's a little messy, especially when they're like squeaky instruments, you know, um, yeah. like fiddles, <laughs> yeah. bagpipes. Yeah. Uh, high whistles these are some of the worst instruments to be in the same house while somebody is learning them how yeah. how did your how did and how does your family handle your illin piping they're actually fine with it i mean you know yeah. i think when i started my youngest was like four years old or something and it never bothered them um my cats hate it do they really <laughs> yes yeah the, the dog's happy with it but the, the cats they just flee um, but it was never really an issue. It was just a matter of finding a little corner where I can play. I mean, I, I, I suppose sometimes it was a challenge because I like to play in acoustically bright environments, so like a hardwood floor in the mm-hmm. dining room, for example. But if other people are doing stuff, it's like, could you please go downstairs? But it's carpeted down there, and it's cold. I don't want to play down there. <laughs> being, you know? being ousted or uh, ostracized yeah. to the cold. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Being sent to exile. Um, but no, it's been, um, everybody's pretty much embraced it. I mean, my daughter plays harp and I've tried to get her to do more Irish music with me. She 
fell in love with Breton harp music. Oh, so yeah. she tends to play more of that, which I don't, I don't, I play a few Breton tunes on the flute, but that's about it. Yeah. Yeah, I've only recently become aware of the, the Breton, um, no, no, wait, I always mess this up. Is this Eastern Canada or Western France? Uh, Western France, Brittany. That's yeah. right, that's right. Yeah. See, yeah. and that's what I always mixed up. There was a... Cape Breton Island. Yeah, yeah, sure. exactly. Which, yeah. which also has a unique piping, uh, sort of like uh, 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 culture and history and stuff. And so yeah. I often get the two mixed up still, but both, yeah, cool, yeah. both cool stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, yeah. The, the drone reads I recently got actually came from, uh, from Brittany, from uh, Xavier Bordeaux, I think is how you say it. Oh, really? Okay. And yeah. man, I like these reads. They sound great. Huh. He's, a, he's an Illin pipe maker as well. He makes Illin and, and Highland really? pipes. And, yeah, let's yeah. see. Xavier X A V I E R is his name. He makes really pretty Illin pipes. Interesting. Um, I'll have to look him up. Yeah, it's a very French last name. B O R D A U X, I think. Is, uh, okay. I'll I think, look I think him he up. and his brother work together, but, but yeah, very pretty stuff. Uh, there's a few other French makers I'm aware of. Um, and an Irish guy, Brendan Ring, who lives lived in France forever and makes pipes. There's pipe makers all over the world now. I mean, one of the one of the greatest pipe makers is a guy in Japan. Mm. Makoto Nakatsui, um, Andreas Roge is in Germany, and he's been making fabulous gear for decades now. Mm. Um, so it's really taken off that way. And the, the challenge again with a good pipe maker is that as soon as they get a reputation for quality, their waiting list jumps from yeah. like one to two to five years. To I mean, the set that I'm playing now, I, I waited eight years <laughs> for those. Wait, uh, eight years? Eight years, yeah. Holy they, they, moly. These guys um, stopped taking orders, like, I don't know, 15 years ago. Like because, when the wait list extended yeah, their realistic lifespan? It pretty much, exactly. And oh then you goodness. just had to say, look, you know, I actually got to know them. They, you know, they're based in New York and Vermont, respectively. I'm David Quinn and Benedict Kohler. Um, and, um, yeah, just kind of... Uh, they want to know that you're serious and you're actually going to play the instrument and not just, you know, store it under a bed and try to resell it or something, mm. I guess. Mm. Um, but they, you know, they just, um, once you get on the list, it you just wait. And yeah. I, mean, I had other pipes to play in the meantime, but uh, they're just gorgeous. And I don't deserve them, but I'll, I'll take them anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, this is this is minutia that that we shouldn't need to do, but I shouldn't have tried to I should not have tried to spell Xavier Boderu's uh, last name because I spelled it wrong. It's actually B O D E R I O U. Okay, very good. Just in good. case anybody was listening and taking notes. That's... Yes, there you go. <laughs> now, um, the the Illum pipes, you know, you come in various. You know, you can kind of keep adding regulators to them. How what what kind yeah. of set do you play at this point? I've got a full set um, in C and then a set in D. Mm. Um, and so uh, the, the first set I actually bought with drones and everything was a half set in C. And um, because, again, like the classic 19th century sets were often pitched somewhere like it's a B flat to B to C to C sharp or whatever. Um, and there's been a real renaissance of what they call flat piping. These are called flat sets because they're like, you know, lower keys than the concert pitch D. Right. I was just talking and, to a guy who was excited about his B flat set that he was going to get. Yeah. I mean, and they're like just a gorgeous buzzy sound off of them. They're just yeah. fabulous. You know, you get on a wooden floor. Um, I had a fiddler friend who would tune his fiddle down and just, so the strings are kind of looser. 
and it's just it's the best thing in the world. I mean, it's not really ideal for session playing. Although if you go to some channel, there they'll have like a, a B session or a C session, and people bring their B and C chanters and whatever. Sea um, chanters are like a hot thing in Scottish small piping right now. I don't know if you know oh, really? about this. But I didn't know that. Huh. I think it's mostly because of Breja Campbell. She's she's kind of a big deal um, in right. the small piping scene, and she likes C sets. But it's like suddenly everybody like. All the makers are having to, I'd imagine, like kind of scrambling to adjust so that they can sell. Because they usually they sell their D, their A, or their AD combo, right? Yeah, and yeah. And a lot of makers are adding C as an option, as a you know oh, third option, or even as combo option and stuff. And I, I did wonder as I kind of looked around and see this this takeoff of popularity of the key of C on in small piping. Oh, is, is this going to correspond to Illum pipes maybe a little bit? Um, well, I think, yeah, because it would be interesting to see if, you know, how well you could uh, play together. And I've right, never really yeah. tried to play with a small piper or a highland piper before. How the island pipes, I'd like to give it a try. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a few folks around here that, um, you know, I think it's just a matter of finding the right key to play things in. Yeah. Um, but that could be really a lot of fun. It's it's more pleasant than D on small pipes, you know. Like Ilum, an Ilum pipe chanter in D goes down to D, but the small pipe chanter in D goes up to D. You know what I mean? And it, it oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Right. Yeah, yeah. That could be interesting. Anything that brings that down a bit, I think, is probably good for the small pipes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, the flat piping is really. Um, has really taken off in, year, in recent years. So, mm. but it, to the regulators, I mean, I um, I added the regulators later for that C set, and then I ordered the D set and mm. got that. Um, so altogether, there's seven reads in a full set. So three drone reads, you know, tenor, baritone, and bass, and they're typically cane. Um, some people use easy drones, mm. but. Generally, not so much. Some people use like composite bodies and like a spruce tongue. There's different ways of doing it, but um, and then you've got three more essentially chanter reeds in the regulators. Yeah. And so tuning is kind of a nightmare. Oh yeah. Um, I can't even yeah. imagine. What a, what a headache. So there's a you put a rush in each regulator. It's like a long. Uh, oh yeah, those they flatten the tone. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, you put bits of stuff on the on the rush under the tone holes to adjust each note individually, like blue tack or bits of string or foam, whatever you can use, really. Um, so, again, it's one of those things to keep those things really in tune is, is uh, it's a bit of time, yeah. a bit of effort, yeah. I was surprised just from like watching Ilum Pipers play. I had been imagining that it would be like drones, like Highland Pipe drones, you know, with a single tongue mm -hmm. read inside, and yep. that the regulators must be opening tone holes that were further up the drone. So it would, you know, so then the tone that was coming out was no longer the low tone, it was a higher tone instead. Yeah, um, I yeah. was surprised when I found out. No, these are a bunch of. <laughs> you, you just have more reads. It's just even more stuff. Yeah. It's so complex. Well, no, the regulators they have keys on them, and so they're like a chanter, but they've got these keys that you play with your wrist. Right. So, so it is like a chanter kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and you just activate the key, and that's you know, there's a lot of ergonomics to it to getting that right. I've wondered about and that too. Like I, w I watched Seamus Ennis play, you know, oh, in yeah. old old videos of him playing, and I've got to wonder, yeah. like, how did he avoid? just crippling carpal tunnel i know right and some people have just are made for they can kind of 
like play regs with their thumb on the lower hand of the mm -hmm. chanter. Um, there's a guy, um, God, what's his name? Anyways, from Ireland, uh, Park McGovern. And you, if you get the right camera angle, you can see his thumb just moving around mm. <laughs> and hitting those red keys and like, holy smokes. Um, but, that, you know, that's, and I'm not really good at playing regs during, while playing dance music, like the whole sort of, you know. Uh, like keeping a rhythm with them kind of thing. Yeah, kind of keeping a rhythm with them. I, I use them a lot on slow airs. Mm -hmm. um, but um, yeah, it's more of a challenge to keep that steady kind of rhythm and mm. or do like counter counter rhythms kind of thing with uh right. but you can do really creative stuff with the regs um yeah no i i feel like mark like as a if as a highland piper you can just about get this expensive hobby to pay for itself if you play funerals and weddings yeah and there's a reasonable amount of work available for that at least locally you know right um, right did do, but like I have tried to push small pipes in those kinds of situations, you know, mm -hmm. where it's like, you know, the Highland pipes are going to be really loud for you here. I've got this option, this other option, you know. Yeah. But people have an image in their mind, you know, mm -hmm. and when they when yeah. you say bagpipes, most people think Highland bagpipes. That's right. So like, does an Illum piper have a chance, you know, to, to like <laughs> make a little money back on their investment? <laughs> Uh, I wouldn't count on it, yeah. and I wouldn't use that as a way of selling the idea to your partner. If right. <laughs> it's like, oh, no, I'm going to make a lot of money with these, honey, I swear. These pipes are even uh, more expensive, and I'll have even yeah, fewer gigs, yeah. That's right. I mean, I have been asked to play, you know, as an individual, and also you know, groups of session players will get together and form impromptu bands. I was in... Mm -hmm band band for the Dunmore Lasses for about 10 years. Oh, I love that tune. Great, yeah, exactly. great choice of, of yeah, name. Yeah, exactly. Um, so here and there you do get asked to play and people know exactly what it is they're asking for and they want that instrument. Um, we played it a week with somebody from the Utah Hibernian Society. Oh, yeah. Um, Those people gosh, would know, huh? Yeah, and they would know, right. I think it was last spring. Um, it was a group we kind of put together like a session group and they were happy to have the pipes there, but no, it's it's not something people typically seek out for funerals and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Now, what about um, like it, speaking of money, right? If money were no object, mm -hmm. is there a dream item or experience for you as an Illum Piper that you mm -hmm. think now that's the piece of kit I would want, or that's the workshop I would go to, or whatever you know? If there was no yeah. no price. Yeah, point. I think um, as far as like flat sets there's a guy he's originally australian he's been making pipes since the early 80s i think he's considered like the master maker of flat sets along the lines of some very famous 19th century pipe makers his name is jeff wolf and he's one of these guys that stopped basically his order list exceeds his mm. exceeds any human's lifespan yeah. and so if you know if that was ever an option and then once in a while blue moon a set like that used will come up for sale but like anything in C or B from Jeff would be just just heaven mm. um, that would be my my ultimate dream and there, there's some people that have like a, there's a guy called Derek Gleason in Ireland who I think he trained with Jeff for a while, and he's making really fabulous flat sets um, mm. as well. As far as experiences go, um, I actually got to go to uh, 
in Armagh, just over the border of Northern Ireland, there's a William Kennedy Piping Festival. It's every November, and I got to go fall 2019, just before COVID hit, mm. and that was a lot of fun. Then that they feature all kinds of bagpipes, mm. um, including Highland pipes, small pipes, border pipes. Um, they had people. They had a guy there from I think he was playing Macedonian pipes or something. Oh, really? Uh, people from France playing medieval bagpipes. A lot of villain pipers, of course, um, and that's just a gas. That's a great, great festival. That sounds um, really cool. Yeah, yeah, and there's a big one in France too. Um, oh gosh, what's that place called? I can't remember now. But it's another one of these international piping fests. I think that would be a lot of fun. Mm. Yeah. Do you do you feel like um, do you feel like going to those kinds of events? Um, opened up your interest in even more like are you now looking at like French musettes and stuff like are you <laughs> or are you or are you done have you found your stuff <laughs> I I think I'm I'm done I can I can be mediocre on a handful of instruments or many instruments yeah <laughs> you know well I think I mean I would like to get back into highland piping or at least um explore like I'm actually kind of small pipe curious because you know I I literally don't remember how to play the Highland Pipes anymore. It's been so long. Yeah. I mean, I still have my practice center. I still have my original set with the old sheepskin bag, and they're all oh, dried really? out. And they, they have the nasty um, faux ivory that's orange. Yeah. No, that that <laughs> yeah. becomes sought after over uh, eventually, though, because it's. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It, I agree with you. It's like it's so ugly, but um, some people really seek that out. Um, oh, that's hilarious. It speaks to the age of the pipes, and so it's like it's kind of a badge of honor to be able to walk into the circle with that that crazy orange color. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, they're hardies, and then I had a Granger chanter from the early mm. '70s. I think I've still got the stuff, but I'd love to try some, uh, you know, like small pipes or border pipes or something like that. I think that would be interesting to get back into that. Yeah. Well, that's that's where I'm hoping this little this little group that I'm trying to kind of pull people together because like they're we're all so spread out, but if enough of us gathered together, we could bring our pipes and be like, well, here's what these ones are like, and it gives all of us a chance to try them out a little more and look at them and decide what yeah. we want to buy, you know? Yeah, well, keep me posted because I'd be uh, very interested in uh, yeah, joining sure. into that. For sure, will. Now, I, I listen to a lot of Jarlath Henderson myself. Oh yeah, yeah. Is, is he as popular within Illum piping circles official than as, as he is for me? Because like you know, to yeah. some degree, like I don't know for sure, right? Like I know I like it, but is yeah, this, yeah. He's so he's a respected guy. He's oh yes, very much so. Yeah, he. In fact, he was doing some duet stuff with a small piper or maybe the guy played border pipes I don't remember I oh, can't yeah. remember his name he, he, he played somebody. with Ross Ainsley a bit and Ross Ainsley I think he's it. played with Bridget Campbell as well now that it, now I think of it having mentioned her yeah. just a minute ago too yeah in fact she was at that thing in Armagh that I went to oh was she if it's the same person I'm thinking of I, I bet that, w that would make sense well, it sounds like not that I know her or anything like that right but it sounds like I know that a big part of like her recent album that she put out was that she traveled through what was it I want to say Romania, but that might be wrong. Traveled through, you know, the rest of Europe a bit, you know. Yeah. Everything east of, uh, of the British Isles is the rest of Europe to me, right? Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. She traveled somewhere over there in that entire hemisphere of the earth and uh, picked up some piping tradition and brought it back kind of, kind of stuff. Yeah. That would make sense. Yeah. There's, I mean, it's just amazing how many different types of pipes there are. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's really fascinating. Well, on, on that note, any other favorite Illum pipers that you love listening to that you'd suggest that listeners, you know, if they want to listen to some more good Illum piping, you know, that you'd uh, recommend? 
Yeah, gosh, there's so many. I mean, you know, the, the old classics as well as up-and-coming pipers. I mean, there's like Seamus Ennis, You Can't Go Wrong, Willie Clancy would be the two kind of greats who, um, you know, mid-early 20th century. Um, and, of course, we have lots of recordings of them, too, which is mm. fortunate. There's people who were like, like the original, one of the most revered pipers was Patsy Tui. Um, but he was playing around the turn of the last century, um, up through the twenties. I think he died in the twenties. Mm. And so there are recordings of him that were made on those Edison wax cylinders. Oh yeah. So they sound kind of terrible. You have to really, you know, and some people have tried cleaning up the audio so you can actually hear what he's doing. But the guy was just unbelievable, mm. like an absolute virtuoso. And he lived most of his life in the States. Um, isn't that kind of thing amazing? It makes you wonder, like, how many just amazing treasures of performance have existed throughout human history that we have no idea, you know? Yeah, just never got recorded, just lost to history. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, as far as contemporary pipers go, um, so we've uh, an old friend of ours in the piping club, David Power. He's been here a couple of times to Salt Lake. Uh, this Mick O'Brien, he's a lovely piper. Um, uh, young and upcoming uh, piper is... Um, Park Keen, and he just came out with an album which, and his father is a well-known piper, in fact, and so was his grandfather, mm. and he's really kind of dialed in these older piping styles in a way I haven't heard a young player do in a long, long time. Um, it's really pretty fabulous. So I, there's just so much out there. If you even on if you go to Bandcamp or something, a lot of them will sell their recordings on Bandcamp, and you just type in Ilan and see what pops up, and it's just amazing. Yeah. I think I heard, um, I think it was Yo-Yo Ma who said that, like, to get a really great musician, you need three generations of musicians. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, yeah. If you go to uh, Napibri Ilan's website, and it's NPU, I don't know what the URL is exactly. So I'll, I'll look it up and put it in the show notes, so anybody yeah. wants to go there, they can just click on it. Um, they have tons and tons of videos online mm. including instructional videos they get you know well-known pipers who are passing through town to record tunes and you know like tune teaching uh they have recorded loads of series of like public performances mostly in dublin over the years um pipers and also other instruments um and i think it's all publicly accessible i don't think you have to be a member mm. i think they opened that up during covid um, and there's a, they did this great piping from the parlor series during COVID where they would, you know, ask pipers around the world to record a few tunes. And I mean, there's just so many hours of, of fabulous piping on there. You could spend weeks and weeks just listening to that. Well, it sounds to me like for, my, for myself and for my fellow Highland Pipers who are ill and curious, the, the, the advice from here is... Not unlike deciding to get a tattoo, where you know <laughs> it, it, advice might be like have it have it drawn up and put it by your bedside table and look at that image every day for a year and see if you still yeah. love it, right? Like yeah. listen to Ilan piping a ton, and if you still yeah. love it, yeah, you got to go for it. Um, yeah, yeah, and get a whistle in the meantime. Get a whistle in the meantime. Yeah, that's all you need to get the tunes in your head. I mean, and get the ornamentation under your fingers, really. And actually, and I I don't know if I made this clear clear enough before, but there's. Like I'm sure any whistle would work, but um, I'll put in the show notes again. There's a company called Lear Whistles, 
out of Ireland that mm-hmm. make a you know it might be like a little a little higher quality than like your standard Fadog kind of whistle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they did give us a discount code, ten percent off. And the code oh, is nice. Heritage Bagpipes. So I'll put that in the show notes again too. Oh yeah. Um, it was nice of them. So if anybody oh, wants a little, cool. little slightly fancier whistle, feel free. To use yeah, it. and whistles are like anything you can spend as much as you want to. I guess. Right. Yeah. yeah. There's a guy called Jerry Freeman who he tweaks commercial whistles and improves them. Oh, that's three hundred percent to be in. Yeah, and huh. they play really well. They play as well as super expensive whistles. Um, and I don't think he had a website. Then he didn't. If you Google him, he's he's got information on that shift and fiddle board somewhere. Yeah. Anyway, Jerry Freeman, and he makes some really nice stuff. I'll, I'll I mean, Google him too if I can find a direct link to either his info on shift and fiddle or something. I'll put that in the show notes too for folks. Yeah, yeah, that's a great way to go to because commercial whistles you know some of them might be in tune some of them might not be mm-hmm. he cleans up the airway and uh, yeah it's really good stuff well Mark usually with these interviews I kind of have it fade in on a set of drones and then fade out again on a set of drones maybe for <laughs> fun for this one I'll do ill and pipe drones I'll just get a sample from my friend Jeremy or something who has some <laughs> um, there you go but do you and no pressure to come up with something profound right but is there anything that you'd like to say you know, about music, about Illum Pipes, about anything, you know, before we kind of fade out? I just say, you know, if this is something you really want to do, don't be dissuaded. Um, it, it may seem tough, but it's really, it's very doable. They're very accessible. Um, and it just takes some time and dedication. That's all. 